Welcome back to my funny friends. I am one one half of a whole. Your co-host Will <laughs> Will Abels, and with me today is, of course, Drew Harrison. Hi, Drew. Hey, Will. How you doing, buddy? As always, I'm, crushing the intros. Thank you. Yeah. I, I am in so much. My back is in so much pain. What did you do? I slept. <laughs> Welcome to getting old. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It gets so much worse, but I'm excited about uh, our episode this week because I have a very funny friend of mine. Uh, we met in Wilmington, North Carolina, doing shows at Dead Crow Comedy Room. You know, all of this, you know, all of this ties back to Dead Crow. You know, we it should always call this the Dead Crow podcast at this point, but yeah, she's very funny. Awesome to hang out with after shows, too. If you ever get the chance, everybody, uh, Caitlin Cook. Caitlin, how are you doing? Hello, I'm good. Um, I was just at Dead Crow, the new one, uh, which is super fun to see. And yeah. uh, it's a great, it's a great club. So how'd yeah. the shows go for you guys? The shows were super fun. I actually got a good tape that I've yes. been posting in short segments on uh, on TikTok and Reels. Perfect. And it's kind of blowing up a bit. Uh, there's yeah. a couple people in the comments that are like, is this the new Dead Crow? And I'm like, yes. Yes, it is. Comedy nerds. I love it. I love, yeah. I mean, I love that it has like a, a history about it. You know, like you run yeah. into people you've never met before. You're like, Dead Crow? Oh, Dead Crow? Yeah. And you can share Dead yeah. Crow. Exactly. Yeah. It's got a, I love an independent small comedy club that really cares about its performers. So, yeah. For sure. That That is it. We, we do need to start collecting residual yeah. checks from Dead Crow, though, for how much we <laughs> plug them. Our sponsor, Dead Crow Comedy Room. <laughs> where, where did you start stand up comedy? Oh, that is such a hard question for me because I don't know that I consider myself a stand-up um, in many ways. Like I don't, I, I did enough stand-up to know that like I can pursue, I can go on stage and just talk and, and make people laugh. But like, that's not what I gravitate towards. And that's not really how I started. I started out, I grew up in Los Angeles and I started, my mom says that I was like singing before I could even talk. <laughs> that's um, awesome. I wrote my first song when I was like four about my cats. <laughs> I still have like a recording of it. Um, and yeah, I was just like, I was always a songwriter and a performer and I liked to make people laugh. And I was, I was just always writing silly songs. And then when I got really bad stage fright when I was in high school, I got really burnt out by like the kind of catty atmosphere of LA and just the cattiness yeah. of high school and like oh high school in LA I can't theater. even imagine yeah. Jesus yeah, yeah exactly just like catty girls and the theater world is always very catty and yeah just like I got really burnt out and I stopped performing for other people and I started just like writing songs for myself in college and then I guess the first time that I got back to performing was some Someone dared me to go do an open mic because they'd heard me do like a silly song when I was like drunk at a party or whatever. <laughs> and I have this general rule in my life that if something scares me, I have to do it. 
because I think it's important to put yourself out of your comfort zone. Yeah. So I did an open mic. That was when I was living in Chicago and I was terrified. It was like a mixed comedy and music and variety open mic. And I was shaking so much that like I had this weird vibrato in my voice because like my body was shaking. And then I just was like, well, okay, I did it. I'm going to do one every night this week. So I said, <laughs> now I'm addicted. Yeah, now I'm addicted. So I did uh, a very decent mixture of like just stand-up mics, just music mics and like variety mics and everywhere in between. And then I started to do more and more comedy shows. And at some point I was like, I think I need to take the risk of just leaving the instrument at home and not letting it be a crutch. So I did shows for a while where I was just doing stand-up and jokes and that was fun. And I, I'm glad that I proved that to myself. But in the end, it felt like I was just like cutting off one of my arms. I was like, right. why am yeah. I doing yeah. this on my whole skill set? So that's yeah. fair. That is fair. Well, what, at what years were that? Was that in Chicago where you were, you were getting on stage? Um, 2013 and 14 was in Chicago. Yeah. And did you go to college there? Is that like, did you just go to college and stay there? Or I went to college in Ohio, um, which a lot of people are like, why would you move from Los Angeles to Ohio? But uh, I just, I went to this really small liberal arts college that I loved, um, that my brother went to actually. That's how I ended up there. And then I did Teach for America in Chicago. Oh, okay. so that's how I ended up in Chicago. And I just found the American education system, super depressing. <laughs> As you do. Yeah. So I started to go to this, this like comedy, free comedy show around the corner from my apartment called Parlor Car. It was run by back then Maddie Ryan, Will Miles and Kenny DeForest. Oh, okay. Um, and like Kenny and Matt. They, yeah. Amazing. Hilarious guys. I'm good friends with all of them now. Uh, but back then I was just like this girl that randomly showed up and often I would bring like a slew of teachers who wanted something to do and oh, would get drunk cool. and enjoy the show and so Maddie I think it was Maddie or Kenny got my number and started texting me when like Bellini was dropping in or Hannibal was dropping in because they wanted to pack the crowd and they knew I would bring a bunch of people so yeah so at some point they texted me uh, Sean Patton is dropping in who I didn't know who Sean was at the time I went and brought a, a huge slew of teachers had a great time and then I was hanging out at the bar afterwards and talking to my roommate and I was just like that was crazy or I just made some like wild hand gesture and knocked a beer off the bar onto the person behind me who was Sean and that's how I met Sean and we were together for eight years anyway that's fantastic oh what a meet cute <laughs> a meet cute story yeah I mean not knowing Sean if you were to tell me he met his significant other from her spilling a beer on him at a bar I'd be like yeah that checks out that checks out, right? Yeah, yeah. Sean's story, yeah. Yeah. So, so, so what were some of like? Because you do the the musical comedy and the and the the songs and the and you know you have the instruments. What were there like some hurdles like that you had to face like early on, like people being like, oh, yeah. "What are you doing at these mics?" Yeah, I like in general for a long time, I felt like I had three main hurdles against me whenever I like walked on stage or even walked into a green room. And those were, hello, I'm a woman <laughs> in a very male dominated field. Uh, hello, I'm carrying a musical instrument, which I know means you don't respect me immediately. <laughs> <laughs> and also, if you if you're like aware, I'm also Sean's girlfriend, which like, I think we've all had a lot of 
comedians bring their girlfriends into the fold that are not funny. And it's been the other way around too, where girlfriends will bring their boyfriends into the fold, but it's more common the other way around. And, uh, and I've just like seen the reaction to that as well. So I was like, okay, I really got to prove myself. Like I got to play this guitar or piano, depending on what instrument I'm using really well. I have to make sure my jokes are like really, really well crafted. And I have to just like circumvent any of these like preconceived notions that like make people underestimate me basically. That's fair. I love, I love that you have that about you. Cause I have that switch in my head where I'm like, Oh, the cards are stacked against me. Okay. Yeah. I'm gonna do yeah, that. exactly. Yeah. Um, was there anyone else, was there anyone else doing anything similar to what you're doing? Like, did you have anyone else that was trying to do like musical comedy and you could talk to them or pick their brain or was it just like, just on um, your own? Yeah, it was pretty much on my own. I mean, growing up, my bigger influences were like Tim Minchin, Bo Burnham, Stephen Wright. Now there's like more, it's more accessible, people doing more alternative stuff and stuff Mm kind of like genre bending. But back then it was sort of like, okay, I know a couple people, they are very bad at this. (laughs) Like, and I, and like, that's why musical comedy gets such a bad rep is like, you have to be a decent enough musician because yeah. otherwise yeah. you can be a good comic, but if you like can only play three chords. Right. I was just about to say, out. we've all yeah. seen that comic that goes up and tries to talk at a slower pace to tell his jokes while doing the same three chords. And you're like, exactly. Yeah. And, it, and, oh, and like Dimitri Warren already did this, you know, like do something new. Yeah. <laughs> so. Do something different. And then there's a lot of musicians that like aren't funny and they'll come and try and be funny and that doesn't work. And it just like, I've, I've thought a lot about all of that in depth and like, I could get into the specifics of like, you can't, you can't repeat a chorus because like the audience has heard it already. You have to have a new joke and like, oh, and you can't like do a really predictable rhyme because then it's not a surprise and the audience can get to the joke before you and all this stuff. But like, I just think that there's a lot of skill that goes into it and there wasn't really anyone around me back then that I knew that was doing it now I have now I produce a show in New York with a writing partner of mine who is a Broadway guy but um we write stuff together and he's very funny uh and we have like three or four comics on every show plus a musical comics so we have like people like Marsha Belsky, Dylan Adler, Mm -hmm. Dave Hill and we've also had like you know david cross and taylor tomlinson and people and like it's a very fun mixture but yeah there's like now i've developed more of a community of people kind of doing that musical comedy or genre bending stuff but it's it's definitely rare so yeah nice well i think now more than ever you have to do something that makes you stand out everyone's like yeah like there's so many comics and there's so many like oh man you remind me of so and so like ah okay that's cool you know like it's like yeah if you oh, do this so the musical comedy and have like because i just remember watching you at dead crow where as soon as you started into a song you immediately had everyone in that room's attention they're like oh thanks you know and that's so hard because like it's like you said it's usually the opposite it's like when someone at a comedy show sits down at a piano or picks up a guitar you're like oh god here we go yeah, <laughs> yeah the amount of times i've heard after shows someone say a variation of like i usually don't like musical comedy but that was really funny (laughs) (laughs) like thank you 
I think when I when I did uh, the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, I didn't like you're supposed to put press quotes from previous shows and stuff on your posters, but that's just more of a common thing in the UK. So I asked my comedian friends to give me quotes, and Mark Norman <laughs> gave me the quote of, "I I usually hate musical comedy, but ah, she's killer." do you ever find when you're on um, putting those lineups together because i've always found it really tough to follow music uh whether it's musical comedy or just music in general well that's mm-hmm. that's, that's a whole other thing obviously but do you ever find it like difficult when you're like putting your lineups together like do we have to have all the music at the back end or at the front end or does the comic just have to be strong enough to be able to follow music or how do you yeah like, navigate um, that so I think about it differently based on which show I'm producing. So I produce um, one show with my writing partner called Fake Birthday. And then I produce one show with Shane Torres and Tom Takar called Good God. And that one is mostly stand-up. And then we'll have maybe one other variety act plus me a lot of the time. And that, I think we are more careful with the lineup. Like we usually put the variety person or me, unless I'm hosting, towards the middle which I think is like pretty, is like a pretty good standard because that's about when the audience starts to like get into this lull a little bit and you have yeah. to kind of switch it up and they appreciate this like break in form. And then I usually try and follow up any variety act with someone that's like super high energy yeah. um, that can like just follow that. Whereas the show that I produce with my writing partner Fake birthday, we do a song in between every performer because we're hosting the whole thing. Nice. So for that, it's just like we got to book a strong lineup. The audience knows what they're getting into. And also, it's a really nice mixture in the audience of like theater nerds and comedy nerds. So they're like super supportive of everybody and like very down to listen to lyrics as well as like jokes. And they keep their energy up the whole time, which is nice. Nice. That's that is nice when they know what what's coming. You know, they're just like, "What's what? Huh? What?" Yeah, exactly. The the audience ADD can take over <laughs> real quick. Yes, definitely. Uh, and so, how long were you in Chicago before? Because you're in New York now, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, how long before you made that switch? And was it like, was it based around comedy, or was it just like, eh, I'm just gonna go? So actually, I left Chicago. I finished the Teach for America program, which is a two year program. And I had gotten into such a, someone asked me, someone was posing a question at like a bachelorette party. I hate thinking of myself as a brand, but the question was like, what's the most off-brand thing about you? And someone said that this was the most off-brand thing about me, is that I was in Chicago, I was doing, I was performing, I finished Teacher America, and I went to, I moved to England, and I got a master's degree from the University of Oxford in underwater archaeology. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. So back when I still had really bad stage fright, I did not think I was going to go into performing. I thought I was going to go into academics. I was studying art history and archaeology and photography. And I thought, wouldn't it be cool if I could like travel all over the world and study history underwater and do like photography for archaeological dig dives, basically? That'd be amazing. And so I got into this program in Oxford. I had Wouldn't studied abroad in England. That. Yeah, I know. I don't, I just, it was so random. No, I love, <laughs> I love it because it's out of, outside the box. I would have been like, what? I mean, I loved it too. I had a great time. I had studied abroad in England uh, in my undergrad. And so I was excited to go back to the UK. I thought I maybe wanted to live there long-term. 
Um, and then I, I loved learning and getting my degree and, and living in England, but I spent all of my free time going to open mics and like oh, writing. And I recorded an album with like, I found this guy who was a musicology major and we used all their equipment for free and recorded like an EP and an album. And all of my other peers and colleagues were like going to lectures in their free time and going to the library. And I like, I still got a great grade. I was just like, I'm clearly like, look at my priorities for how I'm yeah. using my time. It keeps so, drawing me in. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> master's degrees there are a year and then the PhDs are like three to four years. And so they asked me to do a PhD. And I was like, I think I got to move back to, I had lived in New York for like, four months with Sean after Teach for America ended before my program in Oxford started. And I thought I hated New York. I was like, this yeah. is awful. All I'm doing is going to mic, trying to get over my stage fright. There's 60 people signing up for every mic. I don't like the city. It's dirty. It's loud. And like all of my free time, I was just kind of like following Sean around because I didn't know that many people. So I'd like go hang out at the stand and be like intimidated by my comics yeah. and I didn't know what I was doing. Yeah. So then I, yeah, then I went to the UK and then as my program was wrapping up, I was like, I think I got, I missed New York. I was like, I think that's weird. I thought I hated it, but I think I got to move back, give it a real shot, give performing a real shot. I can always go back and do my PhD. Sean and I had like officially broken up, but we're talking all the time. And I was like, I think I got to give that relationship a real shot too. So I moved back um, into this little apartment in Park Slope and, and then I just like hit the ground running and I've been here ever since uh that was what 2015 nice. yeah okay. so so damn. so so love love and <laughs> right the last three years don't count it's okay yeah so love and crippling <laughs> yeah. anxiety of being on stage beat out the quest to discover atlantis essentially <laughs> yeah basically see i'm still that's yeah. how uneducated i am i was like is atlantis real or is that like a disney thing that they made up like it's not real okay good. all right good so what my instincts told me, but I, I just didn't want to, yeah, I wanted to make sure. I mean, it's real. <laughs> we don't know. We haven't studied a lot of the ocean floor, See, but yeah. 20,000 leagues under sea is real though, right? Like that's based on a true story. Yes. <laughs> okay. right, good. Good. Got it. Yeah. I'm trying to be more scholarly. You know, I finally graduate from college yeah. in May. You know, I got to be a college graduate now. You know? Nice. Confirm. Been underachieving my whole life. I got to step it up. I've been overachieving in the weirdest ways that like have not benefited me at all. So I don't think <laughs> any of this shit matters. Like, You're going matter. for it though. That's all that matters, you know? Yeah. So how did you, so talk, talk about those uh, first couple of, of getting back into it in New York. Like you're back yeah. stateside, you're trying to, you're, are you still battling the, the stage fright? Like, how does that go? Yeah, I did not mm. get rid of my stage fright. And like, I still get nervous for some shows, but I didn't get rid of like it being like hindering my performance uh, probably until like 2018 or 19. Like it wasn't all the time, but if I wasn't going up on stage regularly, I would like my body would freak out. Like I was able to like calm myself down before getting on stage. If I could say like, hey, you just did this the night before, you got it, you know how to do it. Yeah. But if I hadn't done it in a while, it would all come sweeping back in. So I spent like three years just building my network in New York and trying to like build that network outside of me being Sean's girlfriend, just like meeting more people at my level and building like friendships and, and, and my little team. 
And then, uh, and like getting rid of my stage fright, going to open mics. Ugh, hate open mics. <laughs> <laughs> I think we all do. They were, they're so brutal in New York. They're like better in other cities where there's a real audience sometimes, but in New York, they're just other comics staring at their yeah. own notes about their own jokes and yeah so I started doing I started getting booked for more and more shows and then in like 2017 I went to see Sean do his show at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival and I think by then I was like already starting to tour with him a little bit and some other people um, and getting over like that stage right as well and like getting to know how my jokes worked across the country so I went to see Sean in Edinburgh and I went to the to a bunch of shows at Edinburgh and I was like, oh, this is where I belong. This is like the place where you can build an hour that no one, you don't even have to like get over the preconceived notions of like, I'm a woman or I have an instrument. Like people are ready for the weirdest fucking shit in Edinburgh. Like yeah. I've seen yeah. so many weird shows. I've seen shows with people fully naked. I've seen mime shows. I've seen clown shows. Like it's just, it's wild. So I started thinking about that and started writing, like working on a show for myself and just like building it. And something about like thinking about an hour more analytically and like uh, reaching out to more people and getting up on stage more often with like a goal in mind for every set, uh, somehow just like, I started to get over it more and more. And then I did the Edinburgh Fringe Festival in 2019. And that's, you know, I did that hour for 30 days straight. And then most nights I also had like two or three showcase shows. Cause that festival, like show started at like 10 or 11 AM and go to like four or five in the morning. That's um, so it's, it's wild. And that was when like at the end of that festival, I didn't like, I didn't hit all the goals I had for the, the festival in general because it's like it's just a hard scene to navigate but like I cut my teeth there I was like I'm I'm done I have no more qualms about calling myself a comedian or a nice. performer I don't yeah. I'm not like preface it in any way I I'm good and I haven't really had much stage fright since that's per that's awesome I you just had to you seem like you you come at comedy at like a very like analytical I've done my research I've thought yes. about the different outcomes of how this can go. So that's an awesome way to look at it. You know what I mean? You take risk, but they're calculated risk. Yeah. I think I, I, I hopefully, I think I strike a good balance between, I do sometimes just like to go for it and dive in head first and see what happens. But after I do that a couple of times, I'm like, okay, let's get the lay of the land. Let's see what's going on. So like when I was working on my Edinburgh show, I watched so many shows and listen to so many podcasts about like how people constructed their hour. And because of that, now Sean is, Sean just finished recording an album that he's also, that he filmed. So I was watching the edit of the video the other night. And then I went to, I've been seeing him on the road, but I went to go watch him specifically taking notes or for his special that he's about to film. And like, I also directed and co-wrote my writing partner show at the Soho Playhouse this past summer. And it's yeah. like, I realized that all that work that I put in that I thought was just for my show is actually like, it can be really helpful in terms of like, especially because a lot of comedians are like very disorganized people. Yeah. <laughs> what? Yeah. No. <laughs> they just like, they're so creative and they have no idea how to structure anything 
And I think that I just have a slightly different brain or way of looking at it. So it's been cool to like help Sean. I mean, I don't want to say kill his darlings, but like right now he just has too much material. So it's like, how do we find that through line? What's the set list? What can we cut? What's what's the best transition off each other? And it's the same kind of mindset I had with my writing partner show. Uh, and it's the same thing that I have with my show. So yeah. well, I think you need that other person because I'm I'm mm-hmm. I'm recording an album here shortly. And Will has been a huge help, you know, with like getting me out of my own head most times. Yeah. You know what I mean? Where I'm like, I'm stressing about this one thing. And he's like, don't worry about that. Worry about this. You know, <laughs> like, why are you yeah. focused on that? Well, this is what we need to be doing. Yeah, I think so many people in comedy, especially just like, stand-up in general is very solo driven and in a it's like so many stand-ups like shit on improv and i get it but (laughs) i gotta have that you gotta have that team i love that you said building your team earlier like you need that that team around you you. i mean like i haven't done a ton of improv i find like theater kids and improv kids that are too like yeah like It just grosses me out. I don't like it. It's very cringy, yeah, but like, there is something beautiful about having someone else's brain to like yeah. make some connection that you didn't see before or mm-hmm. build off something or keep a joke going. And uh, I think standups can get really in their own head because they don't necessarily have that partner, have someone to bounce ideas off of. And I think that's great. Yeah, that's awesome that you guys are doing that. Yeah, you gotta you gotta go in like I definitely, you know, early on thought it was a uh one person competition. And like you're yeah. it's it's me against the world. But the more you bring people in, the more you're like, Oh, this is way easier. I like this a lot better. Also, like I was talking to another comedian the other day at lunch and she and I were like reflecting on the fact that in this industry it's not like you're interviewing for the promotion, like the way that you get better and that you like get passed at clubs or get booked on shows. Yes, you have to be good, but it's also like, it's very much about who you know and who you've made connections with and who you click with. And like, I don't like the grossness of, of that networking. And I don't want to think about it in this, like, I'm going to get ahead because I know this person, but like, yeah. I've had a lot of fun. Like I thought about Caitlin for this thing because I like her and I've hung out with her and I've seen her perform and and vice versa. Like now that I'm booking two shows, I'm like, great. I'm going to go watch more people and see who's really crushing and and who needs a break and everything. So it really is about like building that team. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, for sure. We, we recently talked with uh, Anthony DeVito and that was something he brought up of like, you also just don't know who's watching you. And so you don't know, like you don't know who's on your team like it could be like years and all of a sudden they just pop up and they're like okay now i'm helping you out and you know and it's like oh great yeah he had a great story (laughs) about how the lead singer of train like is a big fan of his (laughs) i love him he's so fucking funny yeah he's so right sean that's something sean has always said to me um especially early on when i felt like i wasn't doing well and i would like i wouldn't like fully give up on stage but i would like stop committing as fully or like i would just be like well they don't like me Let's see how this next one does. And Sean would just be like, you never know who is in the audience. And it might just be a random audience member, but it maybe that one person is someone that like, is gonna fall in love with whatever you do. They're gonna follow you on social media. They're gonna bring all your all their friends to the, your show the next time you're in town. You just never fucking know who's gonna be there. And it's just like, so important to just 
constantly give your all. So this is my first year in Nashville. So I've just been navigating the scene and getting used to it and everything. But I was doing like, um, it was like an outdoor show and there was like 10 people and it was cold. And it was like, and, and like, you know, and everyone's kind of crapping on the show. And then I was like, you know, what? there's 10 people here. I'm going to still give them the show. <laughs> and then like last week I was sitting at um, a bar near my apartment at, like, with a buddy of mine. And some guy come up and he was like, are you that comedy guy? He was like, I was at that show. You were great. Like I follow you on Instagram. And I was like, oh, okay. There's that one person like this. Okay. Yes. This felt good that I put in the effort to, you know, just yeah. do a good performance. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Yeah. I just did. I just headlined Zany's last year, which was really cool and full circle. Cause it was like, I've, I've headlined a decent amount, but I, I haven't, the thing that I do is like, it's not situated for the best club. Like, you know, it's not the best for clubs all the time. Right. Um, and so there are like, I'm, I'm in talks right now to actually come headline deck pro, which I'm super excited about. Yeah. Like, I, oh, great. Love it. Love to hear clubs. Yeah, this past year about about coming back to headline, which I'm super pumped for. But Zany's was like the first club club that asked me to headline. And that felt really cool because I was like, I started in Chicago. This makes sense for me to come do my first yeah. like headline club there. And they booked me on this like kind of off week where they like shifted a date around last minute and we're gonna not have a show on Father's Day. And then they ended up shifting it back to Father's Day and there were 11 tickets sold or something. And I was like, okay, we're going to do it. It's be fine. And they were the best 11 people I have ever performed for. They were so fucking fun. They were so into it. And like, I just have to keep reminding myself, like, I think we all get down on ourselves if like the audience isn't packed or like, we're like, oh, it's not going to be the right energy or like, I didn't sell enough tickets, whatever. But those 11 people bought tickets and showed up and like are excited yeah. to be there. So like, in fact, it might be even like a better way to connect with them because it's a more intimate yeah. show and mm -hmm. like they got a really special experience with you and they're going to remember that. So 11, 11 friends for life. You know what I mean? Exactly. So like, yeah. yeah, that crowd was awesome. Yeah. Yeah, that That's is awesome. the thing. It's like going back to Dead Crow too. Yeah, it's going to be great. Yeah, it's nice. It's like, you know, yeah, we do get in our heads so much where it's like, oh, it's got to be sold out. It's got to be this thing. But like, that's I always have a problem when comics show up and they're just like phoning it in for the 11 and you're like just they're here they paid like do it yeah. you know like, yeah they deserve I, as good of a show as a full crowd does yeah they yeah. all about the same um like a price of ticket you know right like one, one of the last shows I did before everything shut down in 2020 I was like this is like we're starting to cancel shows we're starting to figure out like oh this is gonna be this is gonna be real this is this is gonna be a big deal real. right yeah. But I, I still had to get back across the country and I like had a show in St. Louis still and I get there and there's two people and they're like expecting me to run 45 minutes and I was like, you know what, there's a chance I don't get back on stage again for like nine months or whatever yeah. it is, you know, Throwing the and book then <laughs> it was a blast. We had so much fun with those two people. It was great. Yeah. And no one caught COVID. <laughs> like, that's the important thing we were, we were social socially distancing before yeah. it was cool you know <laughs> and it was it was great that's awesome yeah. yeah you get that a lot in in edinburgh because depending on what venue you're in like there's so many fucking shows going on all the time so my run there were shows that it was completely sold out and then there was like a monday or tuesday occasionally where it was like four people and i was like well i'm gonna do the show for four people and it was fine and it was fun and i enjoyed those four people sometimes more than like a loud drunk sold out audience and also like sometimes i think about uh what maria bamford does where she like invites a fan or two to coffee and then just like does 
per hour and works through jokes. That terrifies me. (laughs) I love Maria so much. She's such a fucking weirdo. And I would love to be comfortable enough to do that at some point one day. Same. Yeah. It terrifies me. Talk about stepping out of your comfort zone. That would be huge for me. It's like three people just right here. And you're like, hey, (laughs) here's my jokes. Yeah. Yeah. The last show that I did before the pandemic was the hour that I'm actually bringing to Edinburgh this year. I spent a week at this theater in Athens, Georgia, doing a residency and building this show with my director, Chase Brantley, who went to that clown school in France. Um, And he, I was like, some of the notes that I got on my old Edinburgh show were very positive but that it was like it felt very scripted or it felt too scripted at some points and I was like that makes sense because I've been doing it every day for 30 days straight and before that I've been building it for two years and it was meant to be very structured and I think I was just like kind of exhausted from it I think now if I return to it I could be a lot more loose but um so I went to Athens I did this residency and I built this show with this guy who was using all of his techniques that he learned in clown school, which was like, I mean, all of the techniques you learn are to like play a game with the audience, like figure out, find the game, interact with them, uh, like react to whatever they're giving you. So I did, and oh, uh, I don't know if you guys have seen the graffiti songs that I do, but um, I do a lot of songs that are like, they have visual elements. There's bathroom style graffiti. Yeah. Joe, the, so the you, show, what? you met Joe, you met Joe, the owner of Poorhouse down in Wilmington. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. Ended up that the tattoo, he got the, what, the burrito, the, um, yes. the burrito tattoo from your song. Yeah. Like he's, he has yes. that next time you're at Poorhouse, definitely bring oh, God. that up to him. He was supposed to go there and then it was closed for some reason. Oh no, oh, no we went the last night. He just wasn't okay. there. Yeah. Yeah. He got what? Life ain't all burritos and strippers, my friend. Yeah. 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 Yes. Which I think yeah. is so cool. I have to like dig our Instagram message conversation back up. But yeah, so I wrote, I, when I was studying art history, I did my dissertation on graffiti and I became obsessed with like, especially bathroom style graffiti it just feels like the lowest and highest form of art because it's not for like the critics. It's not to get in museums. It's just like people being honest and real and it's hilarious to me. So I wrote one song that's all of the lyrics are from bathroom stalls and I, I put them on the screens or the projector behind me. And then I wrote it. That song did so well that I was like, cool, I'm going to write six more of them. So I, I have one that's like men's versus women's stalls. I have one that's like people responding to each other. And I, and I brought that to this director in Athens. We built this show and I did the show once. <laughs> March 14th, 2020. Oh, no. And uh, I'm so glad no one got COVID because there was a lot of audience interaction. There was like, uh, there was a moment where I like, I I lit like a piece of paper on fire and pretended to be smoking a joint and like passed it around to all the audience and like everyone took a a fake hit. Yeah, (laughs) man, that's wild. So now I have to rebuild the show right now for Edinburgh. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but (laughs) yeah, that was my last show. So I'm glad oh, you had last two people. No one got COVID. Same with me. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was that was such a wild time because I was also I remember going back to, like to your parents and just not knowing when it was going to end and like yeah. then you were so thankful for that final show because it just it held so you bleak. It, yeah. yeah. It kept. Luckily, one of the last shows I did was 
epic in Huntsville and it was packed out and it was oh, great. Nice. It was fantastic. So I got oh, to replay that over and over in my head. Like I was like, oh thank God. I had that one last hurrah. Because I mean I got to the point where I was reading other comics on Twitter where I was like, well I'm never doing we're we're never gonna get to do stand up again. I was like, is the world just over? Is is this it? Like, <laughs> God, what a weekend. Every single time I'm like sad when I was sad in 2021 or sad now this year, I'm just like, come on, Kaylin. Like, remember back then? It's okay. Get some perspective. It's not April 2020. We're all going to be okay. Yeah. 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 That's that's definitely a good reminder is like whenever, even if I have a bad set, I'm like, remember when you missed this more than anything on like anything else? Like just, it's okay. Like you can lose it again that quickly can deals with the universe like i'll bomb every show just let there be shows please yeah yeah for uh for edinburgh was there anyone else because that's such a anyone that i know that's done it they're always a very specific comedic mind you know uh and so i thought it was interesting to say that you were you were you felt more structured because i know a lot of the people i talked to they would they would feel pressured to be more loose and just do something different on their shows every night was um was there any like particular shows that you saw that you were like Oh, okay. I, like, like that you really enjoyed or. Yeah. So I definitely have just in general gotten more loose, especially since like hosting fake birthday where I like, it's my right. show. I can do whatever the fuck I want. Um, it's right. made me a lot more comfortable just like being more in the moment and being less like I have to deliver jokes. So I'm, I'm excited to come back with a more loose show. But when I was there, I saw, uh, I, so I lived with, uh dan soder who was running his hour before he filmed it for hbo so i saw him i watched his show twice like once at the beginning and once at the end the at the beginning he was like still just perfecting it and then i think i saw i think it was his last show and he just went full loose he was doing all kinds of impressions which like it's so funny he's not known as like an impressionist because he doesn't use it as a crutch but he's so good at i love his macho man randy savage oh my god he was doing like Jimmy Pardo and just like, just he was just all over the place. It was so fun. I saw, who else was there that year? Um, Lisa Traeger and Emmy Blotnick and Langston Kerman was like kind of our like American crew. And then the one show that I was like, oh, this is so crazy and wild and different. And I want to make something like this uh, was Nat- Natalie Palamides show. So she comes from like that same clown school kind of mindset that's that's hilarious yeah and uh she so she won best newcomer for her show called laid which i saw in, in melbourne at the melbourne uh international comedy festival and then she wrote a new show called nate which amy poehler executive produced and is now on netflix so like highly recommend anybody watch it it's okay. i okay. did not think it would translate well to being filmed and it really actually does okay, okay. but it's the kind of show where there is a structure and there's a lot of themes, but because of like her clown uh, background, she constantly is playing games with the audience. So there she's like, at some point in the show, she starts talking about her best friend, Lucas. She, by the way, she's playing a, a character of like a man. Uh, she has like a full beard. Her name is Nate in the show. Oh, okay. Uh, you may have read some articles about it. It was like, yeah. Uh, she, yeah, it was sort of all over the place for a while, but she has this one moment in the show that like Sean and I constantly reference where she has been talking about her best friend Lucas for a while and then um, and she's been interacting with various audience members and then she has a moment where she just goes hey Lucas hey Lucas and she will just repeat hey Lucas until someone in the audience (laughs) 
hey Natalie, or hey Nate, what's up? Like someone decides to be Lucas. It's like I gotta be there, that person. Oh my god. So wild to me because like that is one moment where like I wanted to see the show so many more times because I'm like it's gonna be a different Lucas every night and like right. Lucas comes down and she has a moment where like they have some interaction and then they she's like let's do our, our goodbye handshake and they just like <laughs> make one up on the spot and it's just it's so wild and I love stuff like that where I know I could see that show every single night of Fringe and it's going to be really different every time. Right. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my so God. That's so, I would be so scared. Like, I'm scared to, like, talk to all. Like, I don't like doing crowd work ever. Yeah. And I, that's just, to me, that's, like, a nightmare. It's the <laughs> ultimate, like, trust fall with the audience. Like, please, really? someone say something. Yeah. yeah. It, like, it blew my mind. Um, she also has a moment in Laid, which she just, I think, filmed at the Soho Theater in London. So I'm excited to see when that comes out. But she has a moment where she's like, she has this shower routine. There's like literally a water spigot on stage and stuff. And she cuts herself shaving and you see like blood trickling down her cheek and she like stops the show. And she's like, I'm sorry, does anyone have any band-aids or anything? And people in the audience like start searching through their purses. And then she asks her tech and the tech is like, I'm sorry, Natalie, I don't have anything. And then she like reveals that she's holding like a little blood pouch and it's like, come on guys, don't worry. I know I'm in charge of it. It's basically her way of being like, I'm in control. You don't have to worry. Everything that we're doing here is like part of this game. I've created this world. You're safe here. And it's, <sighs> it's so fucking crazy. Ooh. I know. I would feel the opposite of safe at that moment where I was yeah. like, oh, I'm in the same room. I'm trapped in this room with an actual crazy yeah. person. Like, did anyone <laughs> check the doors? Can we still get out? Like, yeah, like, are they chained? Yeah, are they chained <laughs> shut down? Yeah. But yeah, the show that I was building in Athens was very much like, I was so uncomfortable because it's the first line of my show was, this is so uh, stupid describing because I'm still building it, but all the songs are bathroom style graffiti. There's a toilet on stage. It's set in a bathroom, set in a dive bar bathroom. And I come out and I like, there's like the tech sound of like peeing and I like have a skirt on or whatever. And I pee and then I realize there's no toilet paper. And I ask the first thing that I say to the audience is, fuck, does anyone have any toilet paper? And I just wait until someone brings me something. Like, and I'll keep riffing. I'll keep being like, I'll take a dollar bill, but like, let it be a hundred. Like, I don't want any ones or whatever. I'll take <laughs> anything. And I wait until someone in the audience brings me something. What was oh your favorite God. thing that an audience member has brought you? So I only, I've only done the show twice. So I like, oh, okay. just starting to workshop it now. But I think the first time someone actually had a tissue and the second time someone brought me a handkerchief and was like, you keep it. <laughs> oh. I was like, okay, cool. Also 2020, whatever year it is, 22, 21, 22. I don't know. Uh, who's, who's still carrying a handkerchief around? Like, I know. Well, that was, that was 2020. That was two years oh, okay. ago. Okay. Jesus. I just had a buddy move here from New York and I was getting coffee with him the other day to catch up and he pulled out a handkerchief and I knew I knew he used to carry handkerchiefs like that was yeah. kind of his thing right like it was like part of his personality but yeah. then he pulled it out and I was like you didn't this didn't you didn't stop this yet? my yeah. problem my problem is you blow your nose and then it goes back in your pocket I don't like, like it. that's the part that I can't get past no do you just roll like it. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I don't and then know. do you have a, a one like do you have like 
multiple handkerchiefs and you do right. one wash in the washing machine of just your handkerchiefs like i don't yeah. there's too many variables. Okay. who needs to blow their nose that often to have that handy like i don't carry tissues with me like i'm good i don't know yeah i i usually can find tissues in the in the yeah. you know the thick of things you know yeah it's mm-hmm. yeah. weird hanging out with uh and touring the the country you know like doing your own thing and then also you know going with sean a couple of times like is there a particular part of the country that you enjoy going to more? Like when it, the date pops up, you're like, oh, yes. That's interesting. Oh, God, I love touring so much. And it's been really fun to like both open for Sean and tour with Sean as well as like starting to headline and tour myself. Yeah. yeah. Honestly, I love the Midwest and I love the South. And I know that those are two big parts of the country, but like... <laughs> Maybe it's just that I grew up on the West Coast and now live on the East Coast, but the audiences in the South and in the Midwest are just like less easily offended and like more willing to go with whatever. Let's go on an adventure. Yeah, I just did a show in Charleston and I have, I like start off my most of my sets now by talking about like being bi and eating pussy and I have a joke and uh, a song a song that like ends about eating pussy and sometimes and I'll ask the audience before I'm like did anyone celebrate pride and like often I get just utter silence and I'm I just like I'm just I'm like great this is gonna go really well basically yeah. <laughs> a lot of you are closeted and that's fine yeah um but, we hadn't dealt with those feelings yet okay yeah um but I had one woman after my set in Charleston come up to me and and just be like that was so great that was so brave of you too. And I was like, that's the best compliment you can get from a Southern lady. You're so brave. Yeah. <clears throat> and I think it's just because I'm a woman and I shouldn't be saying those things in the South if I'm a woman. But I don't know. I just like, I have the audiences there, like they almost rejoice in, in hearing someone else's perspective. They like are less easily offended. Like every single time I talk about being a Jewish atheist, they're like, oh my God, someone different than <laughs> yeah. you. We're very fun in the Midwest is, is the same way. So yeah. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I find the South like they if you can get them in on the joke, they can laugh at themselves better than yes. like not the entire country, but just I've noticed that with audiences in the South is like they're more willing to get in on the joke and laugh and be like, Yeah, we do that. You know, or whatever it is. Yeah. There's like, a, it does sound yeah. stupid now that you're saying it that way. Yeah, like the Yeah, kind of thing. they're able to laugh at themselves more easily, I think. That's a good way yeah. to put it. Yeah. Yeah. Now you seem like you've you've kind of, you know made your own path for things you know like you said building your team building your shows doing you know like some producing other people's shows did like did you find it sometime early on that people were were, didn't know what to really do with you you're like you don't really fit this and you don't fit this like we don't really know how to help you out here yeah I definitely think that that was the case and I think for a long time I was like trying to fit myself into um like a already familiar box or like kind of walk down a path that other people had walked down. And I just, I kept finding it very uncomfortable. I kept finding it like not the right fit for me. And I think, yeah, I think a lot of people did not know what to do with me. And ever since like starting to produce my own shows and like being more proactive about asking to be on other people's shows or just like 
making sure that I connect with the producers of whatever show I'm on or other performers is like, I find there are sometimes when I just like haven't had the energy to reach out and book myself for shows. And I find that I'm just getting a lot more people reaching out to me, which is really nice and like such a compliment. But I think part of it is that I just figured out myself. And so I don't, I think that maybe there was probably a level of like discomfort in my own demeanor before I was just like, this is who I am. And I'm going to stop trying to fit into whatever mold you want me to be. And part of it was just like um, putting myself out there more and, um, and finding more of that like alt scene and, and creating a, a niche for it myself as well. Nice. Yeah. Love to hear that. Yeah. That's always yeah. that funny moment where you, your brain <laughs> switches over from, cause I remember I would watch some comics and go, man, I wish I could tell jokes like that. Mm-hmm. And then when your brain switches over and you go, oh, but they can't tell jokes like this. And so I'm just going to embrace yeah. what I can do and just keep doing that. You know? Yeah, exactly. It's so funny when you finally have that realization, you're like, oh, just be yourself. <laughs> like it, like that's all you can do and hope for the best. Just be like yourself. The in the world. It's yeah. so hard to do. So hard. Just yeah. be yourself and hope that people like it. You know, like that's all you can do. Cause I get yeah. so down on myself sometimes, you know, cause I'm just like, I'm not high energy enough. I'm not this enough. I'm not that. I'm just like, but it's who I am and it is what it yeah. is. Exactly. Yeah. I think there's always a balance between like trying to get better and expand your range and, and improve yourself, but also just like accepting where you're at and like embracing the skills that you do, that do come naturally Mm-hmm. especially because like when stuff comes easy to you you're like I mean at least my brain works of like okay well that wasn't that wasn't an important skill that I worked hard to build it just came to me so like whatever yeah but then you really have to appreciate those because that skill does not come easily to someone else um right yeah I don't know yeah it's I, nice I was... when someone catches you off guard like after a show they're like I love when you do that and you're like I didn't even I didn't even think about that. Yeah, oh, yeah. cool. Yeah. Like this is the ultimate comedy. Yeah, yeah. And I'm I was fortunate because I, I started in college and it was I don't know if you know anything about Emerson College, but we kind of already had like everything built in to do stand up. Like they had a yeah. team already, sort of. But we would have like guys come back and give us advice and everything. And one of the, the best pieces of advice I got super early on was like when you first start, you wanna make a hundred percent of the people in the room laugh, right? But then when you start focusing on like the people that like the the two or three people that double over and like really la- like really like connect with yeah. you, now you're creating a fan base. And so the ultimate goal is to just keep that fan base going and getting them all in the same room at some point. So, you yes. know, so then 10 years later, you're like, oh, cool. You're all in on this. Like you're part of this yeah. brand. This is great. You know, and it's. Who said that? Do you remember? Uh, it was Eddie Brill. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, Eddie came back and he taught a, he would come back and, you know, he, t- he teaches that class, but he comes back mm-hmm. to Emerson, does it for free. So my 10th time on stage was for Eddie. And so I'm just getting all this advice and I was like, oh my God. That's wild. <laughs> yeah, that is but, such a good piece of advice because I think the bigger comics, the like really, really big ones that have a ton of Netflix specials are really not for me for the most part. Like, yeah. I'm like, I can appreciate why people like you, but like, you don't really tickle that part of my brain or anything. And I also like have encountered a lot of comedians that like got a fan base from either some acting gig they did or some kind of podcast. And like, they don't like their fan base. And that's awful because then you're (laughs) beholden to these people that are making you money, making your career, 
career, but like you do not relate to them and they they don't relate to your like, actual sense of humor. Yeah. That is also wild to me. So like, yeah, I really like, it is not about trying to make the whole room laugh as much as you want to do that. It's really about like finding the people that really, really get you. That's so well yeah. put. That's, that's and surprisingly a, a weird part of my week where I needed to hear that. So thank you. <laughs> yeah I, I i never can like when it because we, we get a lot of youtubers that come through zanies and mm-hmm. i can just never fathom that like what their audience is like versus like who versus what they're doing on stage like i just i actively avoid the club usually when we get the youtubers that come through because i like i yeah. can't imagine what what this dynamic is and I'm, i don't want to find out <laughs> oh yeah that club is so fun but i've definitely seen or like heard a lot of conversations as I've been touring clubs about the people blowing up on TikTok or YouTube or whatever. And like having, I did a song a day during the pandemic for, I lasted 250 days. So burnt out by the end of it. But it was a very different skill set. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. It got different muscles going. Yeah. 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 And especially because you have to hit them. You can't have a long drawn out premise and then have a big punchline. Like people are going to swipe up and, and just keep going. Like you have to hit them with the joke immediately. And that doesn't really always work in clubs. And like, yeah, just the, just facing a camera, just, it's very different. It's so funny to me. Like what is what, cause you throw so much stuff at the wall, just hoping something. Mm-hmm. works out and just to find what actually works for you like you're like oh <laughs> okay you know because i was going to yeah. ask how how do the your songs and and things and when you cut up your clips and put them on tiktok and yeah. reels like how does that translate like does that does it usually have a pretty good response um yeah sometimes i got into like a not a great headspace by like the end of those songs a day i also had like a bunch of a bunch of nazis go after me at some point Ooh, okay that's ever i wrote a song about how white babies are the ugliest babies i stand by it <laughs> i mean they it's are yeah, you're, you're spitting truth so. yeah but the nazis didn't like it because i'm jewish they said i'm not white uh, so both the white race or their babies have fun having nazis back isn't that just <laughs> <laughs> so, I love the death threats. I love that they went after my mom. Super fun. Oh my God. Um, but yeah, so after that, that was like July of 2020. I was like, well, the Nazis are not going to stop me. I'm going to keep going. And I kept going, but I just didn't like, I didn't love doing it after that because I'd just get more hate comments and stuff. And yeah, then you get sucked into like, like placing value about yourself based on how many views you get, how many likes you get, how many comments. And like, that's really unhealthy. So at some point I just like, I was too worked out and I stopped. And now I was like, at some point I'll get back into it. And then for most of 2021, I really wasn't posting. I was just doing live shit, which was fun. Great. Filming every set and then not posting anything from them. And now <laughs> this year, I have like kind of a content calendar that's like different categories of things I could post, but I don't have like a set schedule. I'm not going to do it if I don't feel like it. If a video not is putting too well, much energy into it. Well, uh, yeah. Um, I'm, I'm, I know it's important to like build your audience and like I have like literally seen it translate to ticket sales like I have on tour oh, have yeah. like a bunch of people say specifically that even like that they didn't know who Sean was they just saw my name pop up and they heard about me or they follow me on TikTok whatever and they were going to come so uh, I do think it's like good in that regard but 
I think the emphasis always has to be on the content that you're putting out yes. on stage or putting out on these platforms rather than how often or, you know, views and all that kind of shit. Yeah, it's fair. It's no, a good I way agree. to look at it. I personally found TikTok. I mean, it took me a while to figure it out. Um, but once I started <laughs> to figure out, you, like, because anyone I, ever truly figures it out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, seriously. But I always find it uh, valuable for like cutting content and like, okay, how do I get this down to a minute? And then yeah. it helped with like doing a seven minute set versus a 40 minute set. You're like, okay, well, here's the the, the long version with all the fat. And then yeah. here's the one that like I need to, you know, do so I can get more jokes into a, in a smaller set. Mm -hmm. um, so whenever I figured that out, I was able to like, I started following more standups on TikTok and was like, yeah. oh, okay, now I, I like this. Like, I want this content to blow up. Like, I want this to work, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. There's definitely a lot of value in it. And I can see how that would translate to ticket sales, which is great. Totally, yeah. It takes a while for the TikTok algorithm in general to just figure out who you are. Because yeah. when you first sign up, you're like, ew, I don't want to watch, like, teenage girls dancing. And, like, <laughs> like, like I feel like a perv on this app. Yeah. Right now. And, yeah. like, I, I did, like it just feeds you what we call straight TikTok, you know, and I'm not interested. <laughs> so yeah. now TikTok knows I want stand-up, I want houseplants, I want interior design, I want puppies and music and yeah, and it knows me and it's great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I'd go after the hand-painted signs for some reason. Like that's my, oh, I yeah, can spend hours going down that. Like it's just, it's, awesome. it's my 15 seconds is in, I guess. Nice, yeah, totally. I get stuck on the pimple poppers like, oh, <laughs> can't do it it just can't it was it. one of these things where i was like i didn't even know this about myself <laughs> then... <laughs> that's so crazy tiktok will feed you things and you're like i'm learning about yeah. my identity <laughs> i'm like okay who am this... I? I, I and i'm trying to like do a deep dive in my own psyche i'm like what is this saying <laughs> <laughs> don't have tiktok second guess in your life go on <laughs> now when you were producing your your friend's show did you feel like that helped you out creatively or did you kind of like put everything you had into just producing his show? So I, I produced it, I directed it and I co-wrote it with him. I, I also designed all the merch and then sold. it was, it was a lot. I booked all the openers as well. Uh, it was, it was a lot. And so basically like what happened is I met him in Edinburgh 2019 sort of. I saw his show uh, and sent him a DM that was like, hey, saw your show, had to race off to mine, was having a rough week. Your show like really put me in a good mood. I had a great show right after. Thanks. And then he responded. And then when I was back in New York doing my show with Shane Torres and, and uh, Tom Takar, we were trying to think of other variety acts. And I thought about AJ, his, uh, his name's AJ Holmes. And I was like, oh, I wonder if he's in New York. And I DM'd him again. And he came and did the show. And then we started writing together. So um, that was the show, the show that I directed and, and co-wrote was the show I saw in Edinburgh. And when he did it in Edinburgh, it was like, he showed up to Edinburgh with no show. And the night before he wrote three songs and he's a big wow. procrastinator and is the opposite of me on stage. Like he will just <laughs> rip, and rip and rip and not write anything down. So at some point he got this offer from Soho Playhouse in like, which is a off-Broadway theater. It's where uh, Daniel Sloss ran a bunch of his shows before he filmed them for Netflix and where Fleabag was when it came to the U.S. So he got this offer and he was like, will you help me punch up the script? And I was like, absolutely. And then I was like, can you send me the script? And he was like, I don't have a script. <laughs> what, what script? <laughs> so 
we basically created a script from an old recording that he had and then punched it up and rewrote it and tinkered with it and like swapped out a bunch of songs and I created a through line. And that was a really cool experience because I've never written a show with someone else before, even though it like already had a foundation and was something he had performed. It was like definitely a more in-depth version of it. And then I'd also never officially directed a show before. So that was a great learning experience because I mean, it's at this prestigious theater and all of a sudden I'm like, oh, I have to figure out the lighting. I have to work with a lighting director and be like, this is what I want. <laughs> like, I have to like work with our sound engineer and figure out all the sound cues and like there, and like anytime something went wrong, I was the point person. <laughs> I was like, okay, great. Like, it was like a lot to handle, but I found out that I was like, I was good at it. It used the same skills for me as like teaching did back when I was doing Teach for America. It's like managing other people and delegating and having like an overarching vision and I'm, I'm really proud of it right now we just started diving into the audio edits we filmed the the last weekend we're going to shop it around um but yeah it's like it was a great show and it was like a super great learning experience he's supposed to direct the graffiti show we're gonna we're supposed to start workshopping it at the end of this month so we're gonna like swap roles we'll see oh, nice if that works, so yeah, yeah, yeah. those yeah. Uh, responsibilities. But, um, but yeah, it was like it was a very cool experience. I don't know if I answered your question. I can't. No, remember. that's no, that's perfect. Yeah, <laughs> nice insight into you know being on the other side of everything. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I mean, now you appreciate it more. So like when you are you know building your own show, you're like, I know exactly what that entails now. Yeah, yeah, it's a uh, it's a cool experience. I feel like it would be beneficial for a lot of standups in building an hour to like have a director um, or if not a director, have like someone who is watching multiple performances, like giving you very specific notes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Will. <laughs> yeah, I was like, my, my brain just went, well, I'm going to be doing that for the next month. <laughs> we got five weeks, buddy. Get it together. Yeah, I know what we got. I know. <laughs> nice well uh caitlin thank you so much for being on our show uh what do you have uh coming up fake birthday it's a show that i uh host with my writing partner aj on the 24th at littlefield in brooklyn don't have a lineup yet but i mean the lineup that we're about to do in january is david cross yamanika saunders rosebud Baker and Jay Jordan. So it's Jeez. like, it'll be, it'll be a lot of comers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You really got to get some heavy hitters. In there. Good God. That's it'll awesome. be fun. Yeah. It's going to be great. Well, I love Jay. Jay's, Jay's one of my favorites. Yeah. I remember, I remember when he was just like doing open mics and he's just, I, everything that's happening for him, I love it because he's just such a sweet, sweet yeah. guy. I'm excited to have him on. I, I don't know him that well, but he's been popping up around shows that I've been on or been in the audience for, and he just crushes every single time. He's so fucking funny. It's awesome. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. He checks that's a lot awesome of boxes, you, and he's just such a good writer. Yeah. That you, as a producer, care about that. So that's awesome. Yeah. I am <laughs> it's never refreshing gonna to hear. <laughs> I'm going to put someone on the show that I'm like... I, like I, want, I want them to do well. So if I don't think that they're the right person for my audience, like... And I like them. I will give them like advice for other shows that I've seen that I think they do well on. But I just really care about like what's cool about being a producer is not only do you get to like work with your friends and and all of that, but 
It's mostly that you get to create an experience for one night that like we're all sharing and that's never going to happen again. It's super fun. Very true. Yeah. Very true. Well, any social media you want to plug or anything like that as well? Sure. Yeah. I'm the Caitlin Cook. Caitlin is spelled C-A-I-T-L-I-N. Uh, C-O-O-K. On all social media, except for TikTok. On TikTok, I'm, hey, it's Caitlin Cook. There you go. Nice. Caitlin, again, thank you so much. Have fun at Dead Crow and all that good stuff. So look forward to seeing you through the South and the Midwest. uh, Hell yeah. Should be coming up soon. Nice. All right, guys, hit that uh, subscribe button. We'll see you next week.